0: Hey, folks. Zach Ostrom here. How you in? our Indianapolis start is Wednesday, uh, June twenty eighth, and it's an alarmingly smoky Wednesday. Uh, hopefully, you are staying outside, or excuse me, staying inside. Hopefully, you are not staying outside. Uh, hopefully, you are staying inside as much as possible. Uh, I know I played soccer last night, and uh, I'm—I would say I'm feeling it in the lungs a little bit this morning. Um, but, uh, we're talking, uh, primarily sort of wrapping up the NBA draft and a little bit of schedule chat because Indiana, I think this may have been the second year in a row that Indiana kind of bucked its old convention of not releasing the non-conference schedule uh, before it had its full big 10 schedule to, to post with it. Uh, and with me as always is, is Tyler Tashman. Um, Tyler, we'll start with Jalen Huschafino drafted 17th overall by the Lakers, roughly where we thought he'd wind up. I think it's it's fair to say, um, in terms of maybe not a team, but I think I think if you'd said he'd been drafted somewhere in the teens, you know, late lottery or not long after that, that that would have made a lot of sense. He goes to the Lakers. Um, you and I were sitting um, next to one another courtside at the United Center for the IU Maryland game of the Big Ten tournament, when we noticed Rob Palinka sitting behind us, the Lakers general manager. He was there for that entire game. Jalen Hutchina played very well that day. And now Huchofino is going to be a Laker, and he joins a a team that, I mean, at least in theory, um, has, you know, the potential to be at the the potential to offer him, um, you know, a a decent opportunity. Um, D'Angelo Russell is currently out of contract, though I think the Lakers expect to re-sign him. Um, so you kind of got a lead guard there, but you I guess I'd be a little bit surprised if they re-signed Dennis Schroeder at this point, given that they spent a, a first-round pick on a sort of combo guard, tweener point guard, a bigger guard. Either way, the point is, you look at the contracts the Lakers have, you know, sort of locked in for next year, LeBron and, and Anthony Davis, Malik Beasley, Mo Bamba. Um, I think they just carried Jared Vanderbilt's option Max Christie, again, I think there's a couple other players in there that are expected to re-sign like Russell. But it seems like there's going to be minutes in that rotation, whether it's as a starter or as, you know, a a, a regularly used reserve for a player like Jalen Hunchafino, who I think it's fair to say doesn't need to start at this point in his career, but does need the minutes to figure out, you know, to just sort of play his way through some of the the, the, the areas of his game he needs to improve and Polish some things and, and just, you know, get consistent time on the floor.
1: I think this is a really good spot for him. Uh, because one, just like playing with LeBron James, uh, being able to learn from a guy like that, that obviously I don't want to get into the GOAT debate and everything, but let's just say he's one of the best to ever play the game. Um, but being able to learn from LeBron as a really young guy, and especially kind of this the, the skill set that Jalen has and being able to be a facilitator, uh, being able to learn from, you know, what LeBron does and being able to make his teammates better and being able to elevate them. Um, but also I think it's a, a good spot in terms of the pick and roll game that we saw Jalen Hojafino and Trace Jackson Davis really kind of, click together with during the season being able to do that now with a guy like anthony davis um where you know you would see uh at indiana Jalen hutch if you know kind of get into that mid-range uh off the pick and roll and 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 hit shots there but also being able to dish it off i think uh there's the potential for him and anthony davis to to maybe kind of create some chemistry at the same time though i think Playing with LeBron has its benefits. It also has uh, its, I guess, challenges, I would say, in that obviously, if you're playing in the NBA, you're going to be under bright lights. Obviously, he's un- been under bright lights at Indiana, but like playing alongside LeBron, playing on the Lakers is kind of a different level. It's kind of something else you have to deal with. I, you know, I don't see that as something that like will be like hinder, you know, Jalen in any way, but it's just in the, another thing to consider of like, that is basically the top of the top of the basketball world. Um, but overall, I mean, I think it's a good a good spot. Like I said, I think one thing you really look at is, is him being able to shoot more consistently from three. That's one thing he kind of struggled at with Indiana. I think that's one thing he'll need to really improve starting his professional career and um, also finishing at the rim. I think because of his size uh, and length that he can be a lot more uh of a a better finisher and more willing finisher getting to the rim than he was at indiana and
0: i guess i'd be you know i mean i think you mentioned is the consistency in his three-point shot i think the mechanics are obviously there and if you've got a player who can shoot the way that uh hood shefino can shoot from the mid-range and and the way that you know i think he was a 77.6 percent uh, free- throw shooter and actually his numbers kind of weren't great early in the season but if you look at it he he made almost 82 percent of his free throws in in conference play which means that he kind of found his rhythm there as the season went on if you've got a good mid-range if you can if you hit free throws consistently if the mechanics of the shot look fine and you can even find some individual games you know he hits um what he hit you know five against Northwestern, five against Iowa. He had four across the Kansas and Elon games. Um, you know, you, you could probably argue frankly that that his three-point shooting um effectiveness was impacted by how much else got added to his his role as Xavier Johnson. Not only got hurt, but we kind of realized wasn't gonna be able to come back, or at least was was even when we thought he might come back, was gonna have to come back in a more limited role. I guess my curiosity with the Lakers is just like, how do they use Hutschefino initially? Especially, let's assume these report the reports around D'Angelo Russell are to be believed, and that the Lakers want to bring him back. Um, you know, if you do that, then at least in theory, you don't have to you don't have to look at Hutschefino and say, "Okay, go run the team." If you understand what I'm saying, and I'm not saying he becomes immediately like an off ball scorer but you can maybe use him in different ways in the same way that we talked about how trace Jackson Davis was always going to have more opportunity to develop a a face-up offensive game in the NBA, because there's just so much more time in the NBA, both in terms of time that you can work behind the scenes and in practice and things. And also just, there's more minutes in a game. There's more possessions in a game. The shot clock is shorter. You can put up, you know, trace Jackson Davis can put up four or five jumpers and it not feel like, he's you know burning through possessions that are going to be badly needed later in the game you can maybe run some stuff that gets Jalen Hutchinson a little bit more off the ball a little bit more spotted up which is you know tends to be he's not always but tends to be a more efficient way to shoot a three pointer most shooters are better spotted up than they are pulling up um i guess i'm just curious do they immediately just sort of launch him into some sort of point guard role or are there Are there ways in which maybe they put him in the game, but as more of sort of a secondary ball handler, who's allowed to go hunt shots a little bit more, who can maybe focus more of his energy at the defensive end of the floor. He's got such a great wingspan. He's over 6'10 on wingspan. And it just kind of, you allow him maybe a little bit less pressure and a little bit more court time to, to just, again, polish some of those rougher edges of his game before you, Start to look at what I, I would imagine the Lakers want to, his long term future to be, which is eventually graduating into being a genuine lead guard, a a consistent scorer, a consistent creator, that kind of thing.
1: Well, I think the benefit of his skill set is that you don't really right now, you don't have to choose what he is. You can let him play different roles. You can let him be an on-ball guy, an off-ball guy, someone that's more uh focused on defense, uh because of how versatile he is I don't think at least early on in his career you don't have to necessarily try to pigeonhole him into one role and you could maybe look at a a type of situation that when Xavier Johnson uh, was healthy and for the shorter time that they played together like um, you can play him along someone like that where part of the time he is a primary ball handler and and part of the time that uh, you know he's playing off ball but uh, and I think also another thing to kind of consider is uh, whether Austin Reeves comes back to the Lakers, and obviously he's like a a younger guy that is kind of uh, you know filled that kind of guard wing role for the Lakers, and um, so I, I think that's another thing to kind of consider. But I don't think like the the because of the situation the Lakers are in, like you said, they don't need to rush his development. I I look at kind of like what the Lakers did with Max Christie. Uh, last season who was a one and done at Michigan State and and these were his numbers in the regular season he played 41 games 12 and a half minutes per game Uh, but he shot 41.1 percent from three uh, or sorry from the field from three he was almost 42 percent and he shot 87 and a half percent from the line so you're looking at a really limited workload but he was he he shot really efficiently in that workload. So I'm not saying, you know, that's exactly what Jalen Hood role will be, but I think that being a young guy, being that the Lakers, you know, aren't gonna be a team that you're looking at as probably gonna be tanking or anything. Like they're gonna be try- they're gonna be in a position to win in all likelihood that uh, you know, you can take your time with Jalen Hood Shafino and you don't necessarily Need to throw him into the fire uh, as like a lead guy, like he kind of had to do with Indiana, not only because of his skill set, but also because of kind of the injury situation.
0: Uh, and it's worth saying, the Lakers uh, have already announced they've extended qualifying offers to Reeves and Rui Hachimura. So again, you know, it's this is not a roster, at least in theory, that's just going to be sort of like LeBron and AD, and then just sort of vibes. Um, I think that there is a, a very real possibility that the Lakers are going to keep a lot of this gang together but you know again I mean you make the Max Christie comparison I I don't think Jalen Huchifino is where Max Christie is shooting the ball right now but I think that with respect to Max Christie Huchifino may have the ability to impact the game in a lot more ways fairly quickly at both ends of the floor Um, I also think he needs to get better as a passer but again the, the the point is you know, you step in and you even talk about just being around like LeBron. Like, I think one of the the, the simplest things you can say to someone like Jalen Hochefino is soak up every ounce of wisdom you can. I think, I think already he's somehow people got mad when he, he said like, dang, LeBron is old. Like, I'm sorry, but LeBron is old. He was drafted 20 years ago. Um, Let's, let's, let's be fair in, in, you know, modern basketball terms, LeBron is not a young man, but um It seems like a good landing spot for him. It seems like a good opportunity. And it seems like a, uh, um, it seems like a, uh, a franchise that really prioritized him for a a long period of time. The other Indiana draft pick, obviously trace Jackson Davis. I think a lot of consternation on draft night that he fell so far pick number 57 by the wizards. That pick was converted to the warriors um, and the warriors had traded for the rights to that pick before it was made. Um, it's worth saying, but between some reporting I did, some reporting you did, some reporting Greg Doyle did, um, basically Trace Jackson Davis' repart- representation, I don't think this was true until maybe a certain point in the second round, but Trace's representation made it clear he was not interested in signing a two-way deal, and Greg wrote this, and he's right, if Trace had opted to go to Europe, he probably would have been one of the highest paid Americans in Europe, or at least... Certainly, first year Americans in Europe this year—that this, wouldn't have been like a, oh, you're making seventy-five thousand dollars, but but they get you a car and a you know an apartment. I mean, he would have been making very very real money, over in Europe had he gone there. Um, but they made it clear he was not interested in a two-way. Anybody who drafted him needed to put him on a, a a guaranteed contract. That was a big part of the reason I think why the Pacers, which didn't really have a lot of space at center, even though they really liked Trace Jackson Davis, didn't pick him. Um, you know, it, it's also worth saying I had heard, I, I would I, I would classify it as reliably, even before the Warriors traded for that pick uh, with Washington, that Golden State was trying to maneuver itself into a position to be able to get Jackson Davis. And already we have seen Mike Dunleavy, uh, Golden State's general manager, come out and say that he will be on the roster. Um, I think I believe I think that the number is possibly a, a guaranteed deal of as many as three years from the Warriors. There's there's no G League component to this, at least not um, at least not that that I can see. And again, if you look at roster situations, I wrote something about I wrote a little bit about this last week, and I know I wasn't the only one. I mean, the Warriors need size. They traded Patrick Baldwin. Um, they Draymond Green opted out. Um, they also moved Jordan Poole. Obviously, the um, the the hope is that the – or did, did they move Jordan Poole? am like, yeah, they, lost, they They traded Jordan Poole, right?
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, they got Chris Paul and right. sent Jordan Poole to the Wizards.
0: I think there's a very – I think there's a lot of optimism that Draymond Green is going to find some – sort. he's going to be back, that he opted out of this contract because he only had one more year left, but he and Golden State are going to work something up. But the point is – Golden State needs bigs. And, you know, to be quite frank, they need him kind of cheap. I mean, when you just when you look at the amount of money that's committed, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Andrew Wiggins, you would imagine there's going to be a, a decent cap number for Draymond Green, even if it's maybe less than what he would have made um next year. Um the fact that Trace is already on a guaranteed deal, that he's already on the 15-man, that you can just look at this and say, even if the Warriors you know, can maybe add some um, you know, maybe still add some some veteran pieces and free agency. That's you know, that's the sort of franchise where you'll you'll see some guys that are willing to take a little less money because of the opportunity they might have to make a deep playoff run. It's not hard to imagine Trace Jackson Davis on the floor early for this team. And especially because the the other piece of this too, you know, we often talk so much about draft age and you know, the reason why juniors and seniors sometimes aren't coveted as much is because they're deeper into their careers and they're older and there's, whether it's fair or not, there's sometimes a perception that they're not going to be able to be, de- you know, they've done more of their development already. But the flip side is if you're the Warriors, you can look at Trace Jackson Davis and say, yes, he's a rookie, but he's an old rookie. He's a rookie who has, you know, traveled all the possible roads you can imagine in college. And he's a rookie that probably we can trust more than the average rookie in just the the basics of stuff like ball security, limiting mistakes, things like that. So a, a a franchise with a need, a franchise with a history of of letting sort of creative big men, you know, good passing big men, be a little bit more, think a little bit more outside the box, and a franchise that I think it's pretty clear wanted Trace Jackson Davis in the hole.
1: I think this is a a great landing spot for him for a variety of reasons. Reasons one being that, like kind of Jalen Hudgafino, like Trace will get to play and be alongside an NBA legend and Steph Curry. Obviously, uh, their roles are very different, but still being able to learn from someone who's one of, one of the greatest to ever play the game and had so much success, uh, you know, I, I obviously think is a benefit. The other is that. If you look at you know some of Golden State's bigs, is that like a guy like Kavon Looney, um, who who has really filled a nice role for them? Uh, he's only six nine. He's not you know he's not uh, you know a seven footer you know a, you know a skyscraper in kind of the modern game that uh, can step out. He he's a he's a true paint player that's not uh, you know really really tall you know in height in comparison to some of the other guys we see but he does a lot of his work just because he fits so well into that system because he plays with a really high motor because he get can get a lot of rebounds and I think that that description fits Trace Jackson Davis as well Uh, just his skill set he would be an undersized five or he would be a four that We've talked so much about him expanding his game. Maybe he does um, when he gets to the pro level, being able to you know shoot from the perimeter, being able to take that mid range. But we talked about it so much at IU, and it never happened. But maybe in the Warriors system, he doesn't even need to do that, you know, because a guy like Kavon Looney, um, if if he if Trace Jackson Davis can be a guy that plays with the motor that Mike Woodson helped him get to. Uh, that can gobble up rebounds, that can uh, – and I think, too, just just the Warriors, the way they run their offense around kind of uh, frequent movement, screens, off-ball movement, um, and all the shooters that they have. Trace Jackson Davis proved himself to be such a great shooter – or, sorry, proved himself to be such a great passer with shooters around him that now if you're spreading the floor with Curry – uh, Clay Thompson, Andrew Wiggins, guys like that. You're putting those guys around Trace Jackson Davis. I don't think he needs to be able to shoot, and not only that, but he can help create shots for those guys because of his passing ability. Um, so I think it's just I think it's really a great landing spot for him, and also just the the uh, reputation that the Warriors organization has, uh, and all the success that they've had in recent years. So. I think I think it's a really good spot for him. and I also I was able to um, spend the spend pretty much all of the kind of hours leading up to the draft with him and um it was you know it was a really uh, it was a really fun experience, but it, it got to the point in the draft where uh, you know, at his draft party in uh, you know in Indianapolis that the energy kind of changed. Um, you could feel it during the draft where. Um, it was really loose, really energetic, and then it kind of started seeping toward the end of the first round and then the second round, and you could feel the tension kind of raising of that. Earlier in that day, he was really optimistic he was going to be a first-round pick. Kind of kept going on. You could feel the energy changing, and obviously uh, second-to-last pick probably wasn't where he is. he expected. But I think like you wrote, uh, it didn't doesn't really matter as much now because – of how good of a spot and fit that is for him.
0: I did want to bring up that story. You can read it at indiestar.com slash sports, IndyStar.com slash sports slash Hoosiers. Um, I mean, you know, it was a really good story. He did a really good job on it. And I, I also just, I always think it's kind of fascinating to go behind the scenes a little bit with athletes, you know, when you have so much of the interaction that we get, and ultimately in a lot of cases, you know, readers and fans get, through us or through watching press conferences on YouTube, whatever, social, even social media and things like that still is very sort of sort of front-facing. It's it's you know it's it's formal, it's to be able to kind of just like it's 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 essentially arranged, I guess, for lack of a better term. Um and it was just really fascinating you know, especially on a day like draft day, whatever happens, and and again, I mean, I like I, you mentioned, it, I stand by what I said in terms of you know, if he'd gotten drafted thirty seven and gotten this deal with this team, I don't think anybody would be sitting here and saying, "Oh, where's the disrespect?" We, we'd just be saying that's a really good opportunity for Trace Jackson Davis. Um, but you know, just to to be there and kind of watch the, the the swings and roundabouts of the excitement, the nervousness, the anxiety, the relief, all those different things and, and how deep into the night you can go with it. Um, I just thought it was a really well
1: done story. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, um, I mean, earlier in the day, like, and I'll say like, he at least seemed like pretty relaxed. He would definitely like, he said he was ready for the process to be over. He had been doing a lot of traveling with workouts and NBA draft, you know, stuff leading up to the NBA draft. But, um, it was pretty chill. He didn't really do a whole lot before things kind of got going. With uh, he had a dinner and stuff, but like he's just like a really normal guy. Like we were just we were just talking a lot about like stuff at IU, and he yeah he's just a, <laughs> he's just a normal guy. Like I I think that in, in my philosophy and kind of journalism and writing and all that stuff, um, you know, and you might know this if if you read me, but like it's basically painting the human aspect and the human side of things. And I think it's also kind of hard for me to like personally really see that, but like fully see that because like you said, all the barriers that are put up instead of in in terms of the access and um, the way that we interact with these guys. So I'm trying to show the human side of them, but it's also hard for me to like, Truly see it because i'm not able to interact with them uh frequently in like a close-up and personal setting and like being able to do that with trace someone that i've covered for a while um he's just a normal guy he's like a chill guy uh you know i was talking to him like he played 2k he used to play 2k and he like did my player and uh which is like where you create a player and like go through their career and stuff like he used to do that and then he's on draft like and then I'm just sitting with him on draft days, you know, he's about to get drafted. Uh, and his family too, I'll say like, they, I kind of wanted to just like hang out in the background and they, uh, they were like, they were like frequently checking up on me, like making sure I was good. And I was like, like, I was thinking like, please, like you don't need to worry about me. Like, I'm just here along for the ride and I'm like, I'm not about to get drafted. So like, please don't worry about me. But they were very uh, accommodating. They were super nice. So, uh, appreciate them letting me coming in but um nah, yeah, it was just a it was a really fun experience and i hope that it, that kind of showed through in the story where like
0: just be honest and 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 you, you, you don't don't lie to me don't think about it have you ever done at any point in your life and i'm sure we all have the, the my career in some game and are you realistic about it in terms of height weight Stuff like that. Like, or do you do you turn yourself up to be like a six foot four quarterback? Like, be honest.
1: All right. Well, yes, I've done the I've done that career mode in many things, many games. And with the NBA one, like, if we're gonna make it my real height, I'd be five eight and I'd be getting blocked by everyone. Like, I mean, maybe like if I squint really if I squint a lot, I could maybe see myself as an Isaiah Thomas, but like and I mean Isaiah Thomas from the Celtics, not Isaiah Thomas of IU. So no, obviously I'm making myself like a six-seven point forward. Uh, you know I'm using my name and everything, but like you know, we we maxing out everything that is possible. We're making uh, if I'm playing football, we're making I'm I'm two two fifteen running back, and I'm actually like five eight, probably one sixty five. Ah, do you? You make it realistic because I, I don't think does anybody really.
0: Well, it's not that hard to be you know six foot two thirty. (laughs) So, though I'd I'd love to I'd love to pretend I I think the last time I did one of these I was probably still two hundred and thirty pounds which I'm not
1: anymore. No, well I I think and and, but I would say I can't wait for the uh, the new college football game because that's supposed to the EA Sports College Football I think it's supposed to come out maybe. In the next year or two, but I used to play that where you start in high school and then you go to college. But the high school version, crazy! I'd be running, I'd be running kids over.
0: Really quickly, uh, we have about I don't know five seven minutes left. Indiana announces its non-conference schedule. Um, again, this is kind of a departure from the way they used to do it, but I think it's it's uh, it's been the last couple of years. Indiana's done it this way. Um, and I'm, I'm frantically looking for the schedule as we speak because I, I was thoroughly prepared for this. Um, nothing super surprising, a few interesting notes. So, we, we've known for a few weeks that Hoosier Hysteria is on October 20th, uh, which is homecoming weekend. It's the second year in a row they're doing that. Uh, we did find out yesterday Indiana is going to have two home exhibitions, um, U Indy on October 30th and Maryland on November 3rd. They'll open against Florida Gulf Coast. Return of Pat Chambers. Uh, my soldiers are eternal. Um, Army on November twelfth. Wright State on November sixteenth. Two games in the Empire Classic. Uh, Harvard in Indianapolis again is when we knew about Auburn in Atlanta. We knew about Kansas at home. Um, I think this we we finally got the full fleshing out of the holidays. The, the rest of the holiday schedule. They'll play two games before Christmas. They'll have an eight day break they play morehead state on the 19th, Alabama, North, excuse me, north alabama on the 21st, an eight day break and then kennesaw state on the 29th, which obviously tells you they probably don't expect big 10 play to resume until well into the new year. I think last year January 5th was their first big 10 uh game after the restart. Um uh, there's not a ton of surprises here, uh, you know, if I'm if I'm venturing a guess, I think Indiana probably plays Texas in the first game of the Empire Classic. I don't know that for sure, but, um, you know, if if you were seeding that event, you would imagine that UConn would be number one. You could pick between Indiana and Texas as two and three, and then Louisville would be number four based on, obviously, this past season. So, I, I don't, you know, those things don't always work out or just aren't thought of maybe that cleanly, but I still just wouldn't be surprised if it was just UConn, Louisville, Indiana, Texas, and then winners and losers play. I think the one thing that, maybe flag people and i was able to confirm this yesterday kansas will not be in the student season ticket packages um that is the day after the fall semester ends um procedurally that's not a surprise indiana has has historically never included any game that does not fall you know in a a calendar semester day other than maybe like a sunday before the start of the spring semester occasionally and i think that's only happened once that i'm aware of in student season ticket packages but a lot of people said well if the students aren't in the stands is indiana putting its best foot forward will it have its best atmosphere i know i've got my thoughts but i want to ask you as a a recently graduated uh, former student um you know, I mean, what, what do you think when you, you see that? Do you think do you think 7,800 students would stay for the Kansas game? Because, you know, it's, it's, in my experience, just living in this town for a long time, unlike summer break, where I think a lot of people tend to just kind of hang out for a couple weeks after if they don't have anywhere to go or anything to do because it's warm, it's Bloomington, it's fun, the bars are still open, all that. It does feel like campus em- empties out a lot quicker and a lot more piecemeal around Christmas break, or around winter break.
1: Yeah, I think you're right in saying that. But I, I think also it's like just as the fan base as a whole, the students are like really thirsty for like a successful basketball team. And I think we've seen it the last couple years where when uh, IU post Purdue, like the lines are ridiculous for the students. So I think that if Indiana is at le- like if it's at least projecting to be like a competitive game, like if Indiana doesn't just totally, you know, look – Really bad in the first part of you know in the in the part of the non-conference slate leading up to that game. Like, I think st- students will stick around. I think that it will still be a really good atmosphere. Obviously, like if you really wanted to ensure that you would include it in this in the tickets, but um, I still think that people will stick around. Um, I also think it's it's interesting. You know the 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 Auburn game is is a, a week before the Kansas game. And to me that I kind of draw parallels with the, uh, playing Arizona and then playing Kansas, uh, in last season schedule. And obviously there is a little bit of a difference there because I, would be playing Kansas at home instead of away, but I, lost both of both of those games last season. And so to see where they are this season and compared to last season, also just quickly, um, to me the schedule looks pretty similar in terms of how challenging it is to last season but this season indiana has so many new faces uh last season it felt like they were a little bit more prepared for that type of schedule just and obviously it's not the most challenging schedule in the nation but it felt like they were more more prepared for it because of everything they had coming back because trace jackson davis etc this season, you have the exodus of guys leaving. A lot of new guys coming in that are going to have to kind of fit together and um, probably be able to mesh together a lot quicker if they're going to be able to be successful in the Empire Classic against Auburn, against Kansas, stuff like that. So I think they're going to have to put things together a lot quicker. Um, but I think that in the long run, that there's probably a benefit because Uh, you look at as Indiana gets into February and all that. And I know that seems far away now, but playing that schedule early on, I, you know, I think even if it ends in some losses will benefit it in the long term.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think there's also something just to be said for like, Mike Woodson has kind of made it clear. He, he, he wants tough schedules. And I don't think you're ever going to see him schedule the the toughest non-conference humanly possible, but the flip side is, I think I think he would argue at some point, hey, it's year three. Look at the recruiting we've done, the roster building. You know, it, it's on us to rise to meet the road, not to to bend the road down to us. I know he wanted that first season, maybe don't don't push too far, don't you know overextend guys when you're still trying to figure certain things out. But you know, if if you're if you're Woodson, you're going to look at it and say the nature of college basketball is I like, can't always have you know a. a, a senior laden team where I've got four starters back. It's just going to be on me and my assistants and my roster to figure out how to, how to kind of make them out and meet Muhammad a little bit, some seasons. And and I, we can argue, I mean, listen, uh, for example, um, you know i i would still argue that probably all things being equal last season's non-conference last season's big four in the non-conference probably tougher than this season's big four we won't know that until february and march we, you know we, we can sit here and forecast all we want we won't know how tough or not those games were until um you know kind of seasons play out um but I also think it's it's the complexion of, I mean, listen, fans may not want to hear this. It is, a, it is a very John Calipari-like schedule. No true road games in the non-conference, which I think isn't something Indiana is going to avoid full stop, but just is, is the way that it kind of fell this year because they were in the Empire Classic. That's two games in Madison Square Garden. That's a big deal, especially when you look at how many kids Indiana is recruiting out on the East Coast right now. You've got a game down in um, – you have a game down in, in Atlanta, which is one that I think Indiana actually was kind of connected to. I'd heard that might be on the schedule last year. I think it got pushed by a year, but obviously that's a a big event, another game in an NBA arena. And then you've got the Kansas game at home. I'll, I'll have something later today just kind of, I don't know, explaining kind of why Kansas ticketing is going to work the way it's going to work. Uh, to me, it's, it's really kind of six and one half dozen of the other. I think you'd get a lot of students who'd stay, but the flip side is I think if you sell those ticket packages – You'll get very passionate alumni who don't normally get to a ton of games who will make that a good atmosphere, too. I've seen Indiana beat the number two team in the country on New Year's Eve in Assembly Hall, and it's as good of an atmosphere as I've ever been around in that building. But one way or the other, another tough non-conference schedule. Nothing really unexpected. Another game in Indianapolis, which I think is interesting. It feels like that may be an annual thing for Indiana, whether it's a marquee game or not. Um, and now we just kind of wait for... The full Big Ten release, which won't come until late August or September. Um, Let's call time on the podcast for now. He is Tyler Tashman. I'm Zach Osterman. Thank you so much for listening to Mind Your Banners. We will be back to talk to you again soon. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan.